0: This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. Yeah. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, my goodness. Well... You know, it's not as if we don't celebrate the resurrection every week, but there is something always so special about this, isn't it? Well, I don't know about you, but I I really love a good story. I, I, I love, you know, theater, I love books, I, I like to hear someone tell a good story. Uh, I, I saw something the other day that somebody was sharing with me uh, about uh, a library where they were... It's, people instead of books and people come in and they get to you know check someone out and they sit and listen to their stories i i love a good story i one of the things i loved when we lived in mexico was that in the evening as the sun was beginning to set a lot of people would uh come out from behind their gated homes every, every home in mexico has gates around it to protect them from one another it's uh very different than the way we experience life here sometimes with no fences whatsoever but And people would come out and they would sit in the street in their lawn chairs and then other people would roam up and down the street and they would be talking and sharing stories. It was a great place to learn about your neighbors. It was a great place to learn just about life, especially some of the uh, older folks. Uh, uh, I remember in particular Don Jesus would sit in his chair out in front of his house and then he would tell stories. And we were part of a community and I loved his stories. He had been a musician and, and actually a fairly famous musician. And here he was now, uh, the you know, patriarch of several families within our church. Loved that dearly. But you know, the thing is, is that the more that you read, the more you watch theater, uh, love movies, etc., What you begin to realize is that um, there's only so many good stories out there, right? I mean, there's, and so uh, one of the things, the more you spend time listening to stories, the the chances are the greater you know the outcome even before it starts to happen. And so, as much as I love theater, you may never want to watch a movie with me after this. I'm just. Warning you, if you sit next to me in the theater, if you, go to a, if you go to a movie with me, if you sit and watch one in my house, um, if you do not like spoilers, do not sit with me. In fact, I've infected my, my whole family with this. My wife can attest to uh, We sit there and, and we begin to like Guess. You know what? Well, this is happening, and so I think this person's doing this, and I think this is happening, and we're then, like, competing, like, which one has the right ending to the story? And the whole time throughout the show, yes, we're talking, see, you already know, you don't want to sit next to me at the movie theater unless you have that same bad habit. We sit and we guess, and the thing is, is that because we love a good story there's rarely a surprise ending left. Now, on occasion, there is one. It's usually when the story's written really badly, right? And then it like, the ending comes and you go, what does that have to do with everything else that they were just talking? Like, it doesn't even fit. Like, that's all. that's terrible, you know? And then you're thinking, I've just wasted two hours of my life that I will never get back, right? Ever said that? But once, once in a great while, despite the fact that so many good stories have written sometime you'll hear a story so masterfully told and still the ending was not obvious and those become my favorites for years to come I love to revisit those because I didn't see it coming but it was so masterfully done you know one of the things about the Bible Although that story has been told many, many times throughout the millennia, I think it's still one of the most amazing stories there is. I don't say that simply because I'm a pastor or whatever. I I really, just in terms of enjoying literature and the the craft of the Bible is just fantastic. The more time I spend studying that, the more I'm convinced that how brilliant the Bible really is. And of course, one of the things is about the Bible is, well, the story is still unfolding in our day. Even though the books have been written, uh, there is still this sense of mystery and intrigue. We're waiting to see how some things are unfolding. Uh, Throughout the millennia, people have been guessing and and assuming that how things were going to unfold in their day and their time. There's not been any great leader throughout church history who didn't believe That the events of Scripture were unfolding in their day, and would write volumes, lots of volumes, about how that those things were coming to pass in their moment, in their day. There was the expectation that that was coming. I can remember in my twenties, just uh, many a great teacher and writer. uh, They had me convinced that there was no way that we were going to see the dawning of the twenty-first century because Jesus was going to come back before then. I mean, and and so there was a sense of anticipation. I remember when the wall came down in Berlin and that absolutely made everybody have to rewrite all their commentaries, but um, that story is still unfolding before us. And then you and I have to think for just a moment about how throughout history the expectations of different people. I, I want you to think for just a moment about the Jews of Jesus' day, even the Samaritans, how they thought they knew the story of the Bible and that the story of God's people as being one of a long, long road of suffering that would culminate in the Messiah becoming king and putting an end to the rule and reign of all the other nations. No one, no one dreamed that Messiah would bring about victory, not by eliminating suffering, but by suffering himself on the cross. Isn't it interesting as they're going along and he's explaining things to them, he's even telling them, and they're in complete misunderstanding of what it is he's saying to them, even in the moment. And then the resurrection, right? Rising above and calling his people to a life that is right in the midst of all the stink, the hardship, the suffering. And to embrace that life, rising above it, not by escaping it, but actually by embracing it right in the middle of it. The power of life over death, even not only is it forthcoming in the sense of the resurrection, but even in the midst of it to live eternal life, even as we live in the middle of this life. Who could have ever guessed that life eternal could begin now and not have mastery over us? just something nobody imagined. And funny enough, <laughs> funny enough, it seems to be the story that the church often is bent on avoiding, of changing, of repackaging. Uh, we, we, oftentimes, we, we want to make the, the gospel so user-friendly. We want to ignore all those hard parts, the, the things that talk about suffering. We want to claim those parts where we get great gifts, where God uh, intervenes and all those kind of things, but we often, like, want to leave out the other part where The hardship the difficulty the simple fact that all of the apostles with the exception of john were martyred and john's long life was still one bent full of suffering because of what he encountered on the isle of patmos and so no matter how many times we retell the story of easter it seems to be the surprise ending In fact, I would submit that we're still so convinced, like those first-century Jews, that Jesus is going to rescue the world in final acts that look more like the power of Rome than the kingdom of God, that many times we still don't know what he's saying to us. Even when our ending doesn't actually fit the bigger story that the Bible is telling us. I want you to take a look with me, if you will, at this text in Luke chapter 24, speaking of surprise endings. It's not what you expect on the resurrecting resurrection morning. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. If you're using a phone or tablet, would you please set that to silent for the sake of those around you? I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, but please follow along in whatever translation you have in your lap. That's my favorite translation because you're reading it. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1, and we read these words. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. They were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I guess that's where we learn to dress up on Easter. And as they were... Frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you that while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. And Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the women with them who told these things to the apostles, but their words seemed to them like an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. At about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? I love Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, beginning with Moses and all the prophets? Then he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village which they were going. And he acted as if he were going further, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. I didn't read the last 18 verses or so. I'm still going to reference them and I would encourage you to take time to read them yet today but I think you get enough of the context to to follow me and I don't have to read 18 more verses to you. But chances are, if you're here today, you've heard the story of the resurrection before. Maybe a few have not, but I'm assuming that most of the people here probably have heard it. Maybe a short redacted form, but. But if you have not, well, congratulations, Uh, you are actually ahead of the curve today because you don't have all the baggage that the rest of us have. See, it makes perfect sense when you're reading it for the very first time. You're just as surprised as the disciples that went to the tomb. You're just as surprised as the people walking along the road to Emmaus. But as church people, I just... I know for myself, it's easy to mentally run ahead of the witnesses, right? As I'm, as I'm reading the story, I'm already filling in the blanks. I'm already there. I already know the story. And, and so it's easy to just kind of run ahead and, and not really listen to what's happening because we, we know the story. It's just like me sitting there ruining the movie, you know, because I've heard the story so many times. You just know how it's going to end. But I want, you to, I want you to challenge your assumption on a, about a few things this morning. To bring the text more alive and to keep us from doing what the scribes and the priests did. That is rejecting what God is doing because we're so attached to our theology that we miss God. Hello? Keep in mind that as the disciples were headed to the tomb that morning to prepare the body of Jesus, that for the past few weeks... Jesus had repeatedly, repeatedly told them that he would suffer and die. Remember, uh, in, in the conversation between Jesus and Peter, and he's telling them, and and Peter's like, "No, may it never be!" And then he gets called Satan, which has got to be the worst day of your life for anybody to be called Satan by Jesus, but especially a guy like Peter, right? I mean, just let that kind of sink in for just a moment. I mean. There was such a deep sense of rejection of everything that they had heard. This just can't be. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. And yet and yet it was happening. And yet it was unfolding. And yet there was so much for them to learn and to capture in that moment. There were so many things being referenced from the scriptures that should have unfolded those things for them and yet, they just couldn't see it for looking because they knew how it was supposed to end. It's not that Jesus never told them, it's that they just had their theology, their expectations of Messiah, and a worldview that made it nearly impossible actually hear what Jesus was saying to them that part about worldview I I think is one of the the most difficult parts see as they came up on the tomb I promise you nobody was thinking about resurrection in fact it seems that the only people that are remotely aware that Jesus was talking about being raised from the dead three days later were the Jewish leaders, right, who requested that a Roman guard be posted to watch his tomb. And even still, they assumed that Jesus was not actually going to leave the tomb. They just wanted the tomb guarded to prove that he wasn't raised. And why was that? Why was that? Because their assumptions were, nobody is raised from the dead. Nobody. And why is that? Well, just think to yourself for a moment. When was the last time you saw anyone raised from the dead? Hmm? When was the last time you saw anyone raised from the dead? It's one of the things that is the most challenging is you and I read the scriptures right that we live in a very materialistic world where we see everything it has to be just the, so it has to be empirical and when things aren't substantive when we don't when we hear people even tell us stories of faith that are hard for us to grasp or whatever oftentimes we just reject those things out of hand in that moment because we live in a very secularized worldview. We live in the West, and so everything is empirical. Everything is scientific evidence. Uh, if we can't touch it, taste it, feel it, sense it, we can't take it in through our five senses. Though we read it and though we say we have faith, often the truth is, is that that deep inside our greatest faith is actually in the things that we can smell, hear, see, taste, and touch. I believe in the power of the resurrection, don't you? I mean, that's why you're gathered here, right? I mean, I, I, unless someone just dragged you along today, and if someone just dragged you along today, well, I'm glad you're here. I really am. Thank you for coming. But the truth is that you and I, although we believe in the, in the power of the resurrection, I, I believe in the general bodily resurrection of the dead on the day of judgment. I believe it's so. But can I remind you of something? The Pharisees did too. Right, I mean that's even one of Paul's uh, arguments. How he gets the Saddu- pits the Sadducees against the others. In that moment, he's he's like he tells them this story, and he goes, "Hey, listen, I am on trial here because of my belief in the resurrection," and then everybody starts fighting. Because there's like two camps, if you are in the the camp uh, like the the, uh, Samaritans or like the Sadducees and you only believe in the first five bucks, you don't know about the resurrection. You've never heard the prophets talk about that and so you you don't have any concept of that. But the Pharisees, they had read the, uh, the prophets, they knew that and so there was this disagreement that rose up in that moment. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Sadducees did not. That's why they're sad, you see. Okay, I'm only kidding, but I bet you'll never forget that. My point is simply this, is that while the disciples believed in the resurrection, just as the Pharisees did, because that's what the scriptures teach, that's what the Old Testament teaches, they still didn't expect it, because just like us, they lived in a world where the dead generally stayed dead. Right? I mean, that is the majority view in this room. There might be, a, there might be somebody who in ears the exception, you've been somewhere where the dead was raised, but I. chances are everyone in this room, when someone dies, they stay dead. The only exception in the contemporary mind is this. We have a great fascination with ghosts, right? I mean, you know, and so we have a haunted house just down the street. People travel from all over to come to our haunted houses here in Brooksville uh, and things like that. Uh, We don't generally have a lot of uh, of real, you know, hard sciences that we believe in ghosts, uh, although you can apparently at some universities get a degree in um, that, so... um. Jesus doesn't even deny that part. Jesus addressed it in verse 39, which we didn't read, but he explained that he was not a ghost. He said, rather, he goes, I am flesh and blood, which ghosts do not have. Ghosts are disembodied spirits. He makes it really clear, I am flesh and blood, which is interesting then how he disappears from the room. I guess resurrected bodies are really a lot cooler than this one I've got now. It probably doesn't hurt when it gets up in the morning. But when those that are at the grave are confronted by the angels who ask them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He says to them, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then on the third day, rise. And they're still baffled. Then he says, and they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And what do the eleven and the rest do? They called it a story. A fantastic story, a fable, idle fable. Okay, it's not polite to say in the 21st century, but this is not the, tw- the That they weren't talking in the 21st century. What they were saying was, ah, it's a bunch of women telling stories, right? It's it's old wives' tales. That's what they were saying. We don't translate it that way in more modern because it, it's offensive now. But that's what they were saying. In the world of the Bible in the first century, look, Look, when I was growing up, I heard a lot about old wives' tales. You can't say it anymore, but that's exactly what they were saying. That was the response of the eleven, except for one, except for two, actually. It only tells us about Peter in this text, but they, they collectively did not believe it. John and Peter at least went and investigated primarily out of unbelief. Like, this doesn't make sense because when people die, they stay dead. Now, they did know there were some exceptions where Jesus had raised the dead. They did know that if they had read through the, the prophets, they knew that Elijah had raised the dead. And so there was some precedence for it. But overall, like the world that they lived in, the dead stay dead and they just stay that way. Nothing changes. And now, in this moment, like they, there had been that on the day, on Good Friday, that some of the prophets had got up and were roaming about and things like that. And so it's, it's in the realm of now impossibility. But still, they just don't really believe it. So in verse 12, it tells us that Peter wondered what happened. I'm sure somewhere in there, that rebuke. Of being called Satan is playing over in his head? Is that what Jesus meant? What happens when your theology and your life experience, your worldview contradict what God's doing? And we call those things miracles. <laughs> but it's amazing how quickly, right, as, even as Christians even as first century Christians, how quick we choose what we know over what we say we've put our faith in. We talk a lot about faith, but for most of us, it's, we actually trust the things we can see, hear, smell, and taste, things we observe empirically, which Hebrews tells us is the opposite of faith. That's really the things that we put our trust in. In fact, when we see things done in people's lives and their lives begin to change, that's usually the best way that we indicate evidence that there's actually a changed life, right? It's it's through those things. We we like the things we can see, hear, smell, taste. And that's why we have to settle issues of faith before our life experiences tell us something different. It's why I'm constantly admonishing us. Settle these issues now while you're at peace before life throws you a curveball, before the storms come in, before you go through an upheaval, before your loved one dies, before someone that you care about goes through a tragedy, before sorrow strikes into the heart, you need to settle those things because I'm telling you that your experience, the empirical world, especially you and I as Western people, like those are the things that tell us that's the truth. And when our faith contradicts the things that we can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, experience for ourselves, then we go, well, that must be wrong. It's one of the most crippling things in people's faith. Have you ever noticed how many times that when Jesus is doing things like raising the dead, he leaves everybody outside just to keep from taking all the unbelief into the room with him? Isn't that intriguing? I'm just, I like look at that over and over again and remind myself sometimes whenever I'm in certain situations and I think, well, I ought to pray about these things, uh, but. Gosh, I, I just feel overwhelmed by the unbelief in the room, and it's not because like I doubt him, but I, I begin to like li- take on what everybody else is feeling. Like this, that doesn't sound possible. So we go back to the road to Emmaus, and there we find Cleopas and another person, presumably his wife, <clears throat> but his wife's name is Mary. And if you've been reading the text. You know that there's Mary, 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 Mary. Mary. It's a very merry text. Uh, there's lots of Marys, and so apparently a very popular name at that time, uh, you know, and uh, and even among the disciples, right? We got Je- James and Big James and things like that, and and so they're trying to keep everything straight. In fact, do you know the name Joshua and Jesus are the same name? But we call Jesus Jesus, and we all the other Joshuas in the Bible we call Joshua just so that you don't confuse them. It's the same name exact same name and so we have this way of separating those things out so that we can keep track of them and so cleopas and probably his wife that's what church history and tradition tell us but uh like i said she's not named in the chapter to avoid the the lack of clarity and they they start the dialogue right with him and they meet jesus on the road and they did not recognize him at first but later they did and it says that they were kept from recognizing him, but it doesn't give like an indication like the Spirit of God was keeping that. It's because simply, listen, he's in his resurrected body. Now, I don't know if the resurrected body looked a little different, a little fresher, one would hope. Um, that seems to contradict what happens later right there in the text, because they do recognize him. I think it goes back to what I said to begin with. It's when was the last time you saw a resurrection? They they were so it was so out of their purview of possibility. And while it's true that Je- Jesus had raised the dead and, and, and was, uh, when he was alive, no one is thinking that Jesus is going to raise himself when he's already dead. And even still, there's this in those few instances. Like I said, a lot of times people weren't included. They just saw the after effect. So I believe they didn't recognize him simply because even though they had heard the news of the resurrection, they still didn't believe it. It defied their theology and it defied their experience. And then listen to the words that they speak to Jesus. What did they tell the stranger on the road? They said Jesus was the Messiah. No, no they didn't. They still weren't calling Jesus Messiah. Let that sink into you for just a moment. Because as Christians we just kind of read in. No, they called Jesus the prophet of Nazareth who was mighty in word and deed. But by his death they had already ruled out that he was the Messiah. They came to a conclusion we thought he was going to be the Messiah, but clearly he's not because he has died, because they were able to crucify him. That proved in their minds, he's not Messiah. The very thing that you and I oftentimes will say to people, well, this is the proof that Jesus is the Son of God he, because of his death, you know, and, and the, no, because of his resurrection, right? It's because he overcomes. But at that moment, they're thinking to themselves, he is not the Messiah. He's dead. He didn't overthrow Rome, he was crushed by Rome. That's what they think. So then we look there at verse 21 and we said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, now it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company have amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. They didn't find his body. They came back saying that they'd seen visions of angels and that he was alive. Some went to see, but nobody saw his body. Like, we did not see it for ourselves, so it it didn't happen, right? Remember, read between the lines. So much of the story is between the lines, isn't it? All the the shadowing and the unveiling of things. And so they're telling Jesus they don't believe it because they didn't see it. What did we say the definition of faith is? Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things Not seen. When Thomas is saying, Let me poke my hands in this hands and in his side, and Jesus says to him, Blessed are those who have not seen. Why? Because yours isn't faith, Thomas. You believe because you saw. Faith is the things that when we hope in the things that we haven't seen yet, the things that we haven't received yet, when those prophets of old were looking forward to the day and hoping, longing for the day that Messiah would come, they were putting their hope in something they did not fully understand, something they had not seen, and it said that they went to their grave in faith, waiting. Some of us here today may yet lay our heads down without seeing the final return. On the other hand, everybody here might see his final return. We don't know. He's pretty specific that you're not going to know. But they're telling him, we didn't believe it because we didn't see it. They are doubting. They are, by definition, not full of faith. And then comes Jesus' rebuke. It's, it's, I believe, gentle. I guess it depends on how you read the text. I've heard people read it in such a way that it sounds crushing. I don't know, is your Jesus crushing or, or does he rebuke out of kindness and love? Jesus' rebuke and correction of their experience, of their theology, their worldview comes this way. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, your text may have an exclamation point at the end of the sentence to believe all that the prophets have spoken i just want to tell you that in the original language there is no such thing that's interpretive translation slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken and beginning with moses right with the first five books and all the prophets he interpreted to them all these things in the scriptures concerning himself see because Jesus was not using the new testament it hadn't been written that's why whenever people tell me that you know the hebrew bible is you know harsh and cruel and I'm like going then you're reading it wrong it's just like those people who put the exclamation point on the end of that sentence making Jesus harsh you read your Old Testament is harsh and cruel, that's on you. Your theology is leaking. He was teaching him what the Hebrew Bible said about Messiah, all those wonderful, powerful verses about God's mercy, about what the Messiah was going to do, about the forgiveness of sins, that Yahweh was coming to redeem his people, and everything about Messiah was taught to them from the Hebrew Bible, what we commonly call the Old Testament, and he's laying this picture out, and they are eating it up, they're like, wow, this stuff is great, Why, we, this, this is good stuff, like they've never heard it before, he's been with them for three years, Anybody here, like, been walking with Jesus longer than three years and still discovering things? <laughs> you know, before we look down on them, right? Before we, like, go, well, gosh, they're awfully dense, you know? Don't do that unless you're reading the Bible in front of your own mirror, right? So, um, and, uh, and so they, 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 they're... They're hearing this stuff and they're eating it up like for the very first time. And so they urged him, stay with us. We want more. We want to know what you're talking about. We want to hear more of this. I mean, you know, don't go on. Stay with us. Break bread. Now, watch this. This is is so good. This is so good. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 7. Do you remember what happens in Genesis 3, verse 7? If you're new to the Bible, you you won't remember it. So so here's kind of a a little surprise maybe for you. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says, and their eyes were opened. They ate, and their eyes were opened. And that's when they realized they were naked. Luke 24:31 says and they the moment that they broke the bread and they ate their eyes were opened. You know what he's saying to us? He's saying the curse is broken death is defeated that on genesis chapter 3 the curse came into the world death came into the world the moment they ate that fruit and the moment their eyes were opened they were brought into death they were brought into darkness they were taken away from the very presence of god and now their eyes are closed and he breaks the bread and they partake of that bread and their eyes are open the curse death is defeated that's what he's telling you Death is defeated. And if you aren't applausing, you're not getting the passage. He's saying right then and there. Right then and there. Death is defeated. And their eyes are opened and they recognize that Jesus is back from the dead. They saw him for who he was, the resurrected king who defeated sin and death. And broke the curse. Gosh, I was a, wish I was a good preacher. This is good stuff. And then he disappeared from their sight because they knew. They ran back to the others. <laughs> Isn't it funny? They, they, they were asking him to stay because it was late in the day. And they so are overwhelmed with what has just occurred to them that they, may, they make the seven-mile jaunt back into the city under most likely dark of night so just so they can tell everyone what they have seen and what they have heard. He is risen from the dead. And and then from there, all the way to the end of the gospel, it just tells how He opened their minds, just uh, encounter after encounter, how He opened their minds to understand those Hebrew scriptures, how they told the story of who He is and what He is doing. Oh Lord, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to see and to believe what you are doing even in our day. Let's stand together. I don't know if you know what the word Easter actually means. It means beginning. It is a reference specifically in church history to the beginning of the church calendar. It says that this is when the church began is with the, with the resurrection. That, that's the idea of why we use the word Easter. I, I know there's some you know, uh, uh, myths out there that tie Easter to pagan gods and things like that. Um, uh, n- none of that is true. It's just not. It's just folklore. It refers to the beginning of the calendar. It's this idea that everything begins with the resurrection, eternal life, specifically. But you know, I think in many ways it should remind us that from the very beginning, from Moses in Genesis all the way through the holy prophets and apostles, that God has had a plan. See, here's the thing God is the author, He's not taken by surprise. So even though we begin all the way back there in Genesis and we're reading the story and we have some clues, we've even maybe been raised with a theology that goes back and shows us how some of those things are there in the Old Testament and we're reading and we can begin to see the story unfold to some degree, Uh, the truth is is that we're all still in somewhat a a sense of anticipation, wondering how the the final chapters will be written. Some of us think we already know, and God bless you for that, but... I, uh, I, I, I will be one to confess I don't know. I see a number of things that give me indications and certainly have, I put my hope in the resurrection. But the reality is, is that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, Ephesians 1 tells us that even before the foundation of the earth was made, that he purposed us in Christ Jesus. It's always been his desire to redeem us. It's the story that was always being told. It was the one that he told through Israel. It's the one he, is, he told through the apostles. It's the one he wants to tell through you and I to the whole world of his great intent to reconcile things, to put, make all things new. Romans 8 even tells us that the whole earth is groaning, longing for that day when this will be revealed, that that all of creation longs for him to take his rightful place enthroned on the heavens and for every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. All of creation longs for that day. And so we are longing for that day. But from this perspective, sometimes when you and I are in the midst of living life and Trials and struggles and difficulties and pandemics and, and, and political uh, conflagulation, people arguing and, and everything else. And we can just like take our eyes and we put it all on these other things and we absolutely forget the power of God to transform societies, uh, uh, the power of God to transform life, uh, to bring hope and healing into people's lives. Uh, we believe, do we not, in the transformative power of the gospel, And yet, with these eyes, with these ears, I take in so much from the world that tells me that we are losing ground, that we are failing. And that can become overwhelming. It can become very disappointing. And then in the end, we don't even treat one another the way that the Scriptures admonish us to. In a way, we just settle into a a lifestyle, an attitude, a way that we look at the whole world in disbelief, in disappointment, We have no expectation of God intervening in our world. We have no expectation of Him changing our circumstances, uh, of, of freeing us from the things that hold us back, from the things that tie us down, from the things that confuse us, from the things that cause pain in us. And we just surrender to the world around us. But this is called Resurrection Sunday the beginning of all things. It is the confidence that you and I would begin to have. That's faith, that when you and I come into conflict with the world and the ways around us, not in a kind of conflict that belittles, not in the kind of conflict that tries to do what Rome did and put down its oppressor, not to do the kind of conflict that the way the world sees it, but for you and I to engage the world in Christ-likeness Dying to ourselves, living for Him, allowing the power, the transformative power of the gospel, to work in us, to change us, even change us in the middle of our circumstances, to handle them in a different way, and to be the good news of Jesus Christ in the world around us. There are so many possible ways that this end might, this the end of this age might come about, but there is one thing I know for certain. That he who overcame on the cross has promised that he is coming back in victory. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come on up. And as they're coming, I want to make an invitation to you, like, if you find yourself trapped in a worldview that doesn't allow for God to, like, move in your midst, to bind up your brokenness, to bring healing to you, to to bring you an, to a place of life, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of your suffering or whatever else, if you've lost confidence in the God who is able to transform your life and and you've, like, you've outwardly said, you've confessed with your mouth uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're saved. I'm not, I'm not going to question your salvation. I'm talking about that place where you've come to doubt Him. You, you've no longer put your faith in Him. You're trusting in all the things that you can see, touch, taste, hear, smell. I want to ask you today, would you just lay all that garbage down at the foot of the cross? Would you Again, reignite your hope in the God of resurrection who is transforming the world, who is working His way around the world and nations are being transformed. People in the far reaches, in the the 440 window and things like that. where The gospel is rapidly expanding around the world. Never before in history has the gospel accelerated, grown as fast as it is today. I want to ask you, would you believe again And that God, the God of resurrection power. So if that's you, let me invite you to come get some prayer this morning. And if you've never known that God of resurrection power, it goes double for you. It's not something that you will see with your eyes, touch with your hands, but it's an invitation to experience the transforming power of His Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins that you don't even know you need, and to let Him cleanse and renew you in a way you never expected. It's a great ending. I'd like it to be yours. Father God, we come before you this morning and in sense of anticipation that you are here, that you are with us, that you're working Through us that you have uh, given us a commission and a calling to extend good news, hope, and healing to the very ends of the earth, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to strangers, to even the people that we don't like. And Lord, we know that we cannot do that in our own strength. And so we call out now, we cry out now, Holy Spirit, come. Would you fill us? Would you empower us? Would you reignite the expectations that transcend the world we live in, that transcend all of our expectations? Would we let you be God again? We we give you permission, bust out of the boxes of our lives, bust out of all of our framework, and you be God and we will be man and we will serve and we will do whatever you call us to do, even even when we feel foolish. For the sake of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you, I hope that your day is filled with lots of unexpected blessing. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, Thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.